hosting, and we're so glad to be able to share them with that event. He'll be back next week. But this week, that gives me the opportunity to be with you, as I always love to do on a Sunday. Well, listen, we kicked off a new series last week. It's called Normal. It's called Normal. And Pastor Pat, um, we've been really excited about this as we've been kind of brainstorming. Basically, this series is going to help you discover what a normal or ideal life looks like for the follower, for followers of Jesus. And Pastor Pat did a great job last week. He unpacked a little bit of the foundation of how we determine or measure what normal should be in the life of a believer, what it is and what it isn't. And what it isn't is that normal should not ever be determ determined by what is average or what is common or what everybody is doing, right? Like if you've ever been a teenager, you know, everyone's doing that. It should be, well, that's not normal. Okay, and so, but normal in the life of a believer should always be determined by God's ideal standard, which, as Pastor Pat says, is always more. And his ideal standard is always determined by our design or the origin. What did he create us to be or do? And that's what is going to be normal. And so he did a great job of kicking it off last week. He started, we're going to unpack this. We got, we're going to pack a lot into the next uh, few minutes. So we're going to be moving pretty quickly, but he started in Genesis 126 with the scripture. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And I want to start there as well. And then I'm going to launch and I would really like today to dive into this idea of image, right? What is image? What does that mean? And, and ask the question, are we an image or are we an idol? And what's the difference? Image or idol, what's the difference? Now, image, by definition, is a shadow or an outline or a representation of something, of an original something. But in Hebrew culture, image was really not about what you look like. It wasn't just about like a physical form. In Hebrew culture, image was so much more about function. It was about what you're doing. It was about the essence or the characteristics or the mannerism in which you did something. So when they read this scripture, Genesis 126, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. It meant like to be like us, to be as in, in the way that they did their job or went about their business or did their life, that they would be like God, that they would do it in a way that God would do it, that they would be image bearers of the father. That, so N.T. Wright says that God's life-giving reflection would be imaged to the world in all of creation. That was the purpose. The image is purposeful. So the purpose of God saying, hey, we should make man in our image to be like us. It wasn't just because like, hey, we look great. We would love to see more of us, like more people looking like us walking around. It was we should make man in our image to be like us so that all of creation can see what we're like. So as, that, so as they go about their business, whether it be naming the animals or tending the garden or making a beautiful temple or playing a wonderful song of worship, that they would do it in a way that shows all of creation what we're like, what God is like, that they would be reflections of us in the way that they go about their business. So there's purpose in image. Now, there was a study done. I started thinking about this image and 
God, we're such an image-driven society right now. And I started thinking about this and doing some research. There was a study done. It was thousands of high school students. And they were asked this one question. In a perfect world, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what would you be? What would your number one career be? And they were going to take the top 10 of those. And what do you think that answer was today? What do you think? Ah, yes, absolutely. They want to be a YouTuber. They want to be an influencer. And, you know, as an almost 60-year-old, I can just literally envision myself responding to that question with a little bit of an eye roll and a little bit of a, yeah, I should probably just work hard and get a job. Or, you know, what's, oh, God, is that the future? So and here's the deal. The results did not just come in like this was number one. It was overwhelmingly, like over half, of the students chose that and the other nine were the other the other half so it was overwhelming that this answer and as i was having my normal response to that which i probably have done hundreds of times over the years especially being around a lot of young people the lord just stopped me because this study is up on my laptop and then also this teaching is up on my laptop and he said hold on a minute stop the truck think through that Think through that response right now. So I go, and I, I'm, I'm literally on this part, and I read this again. The purpose is that we would be image bearers of God. See, our purpose is that we would be image bearers or influencers in creation. And what do they always want to do? They want to make followers, right? See, image is reproducible. What did God say? Go out, be fruitful, and multiply. What did Jesus said when he left the earth? Hey, go into all the world and make disciples, multiply, create followers, have followers. But when our kids say it, I want to be an influencer and I want to make followers, we go, oh, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> so the Lord and I had to have some discussion and occasionally I get it wrong. And I, I just had to go, wait a minute. I think, and they don't even know it, but I think in the hearts of this generation, something is rising up that is taking them back to this original intent for their lives. They know they're supposed to be image bearers. They know they're supposed to have a voice. They know they're supposed to be influencers. And they know they're supposed to make followers. They might not know what the purpose of that is. They might not connect the dots. But you know what? I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I actually think they have it more right then we think they have it wrong. See, they're responding to this normal. They're responding to their original design. What they haven't had is a whole lot of people telling them, you know what, that's great. That's so in you. I love that. You know where that comes from? That comes from God. You know what that thing is? That comes from original design. Now, let me help you figure out what that looks like. In your music or in your writing or in your talent, you're supposed to be an image bearer that shows people what God is like. God is creative. God is excellent. God is beautiful. God is kind. God is merciful. God is all about justice. Just make sure that happens. You might live in a little tension. Now, image is reproducible. In every area of Genesis 1, every time God made something, he said, let the earth bring forth vegetation after its own kind. Let's make some animals, some plants, some whatever. Everything's going to be after its own kind. So everything is going to produce after its own kind. And guess what kind we are? <laughs> We're after God's kind. 
See, we were supposed to produce after our God, after God's kind. We were supposed to go be and do our jobs in a way that showed everybody God. We were supposed to be image bearers, and we were to create. We were supposed to reproduce image bearers in the earth, so the entire earth and all of creation would know what God was like. Lions were supposed to reproduce lions. They kind of got that right. See, instinctually, when a lion has a lion cub, it acts like, guess what? A lion. It made me think about that, where that tension comes from. See, instinctually, we, ten we have these tendencies, and when we understand that those are for the glory of God, but when we begin to use them for other things, we live in tension. So I have this little cattle dog. So if you know me, I'm going to talk about two things if you give me more than five minutes. I'm going to talk about my grandchildren, or I'm going to probably talk about Pepper. Pepper is my cattle dog. Now, cattle dogs are really interesting. They're super smart. They're bred with the smartest dog, the Border Collie, and a wild dingo. Pepper got almost all wild dingo. We don't know where the smart part went, but that's what she got. And so, but she doesn't, and they're made to like, you can leave them with sheep or cattle. Three days later, come back, and they're like, they're all here. I haven't lost a one. Like, they're that dog. Super protective, guardians, amazing. She's an amazing dog, and I chose her for that. But she doesn't have any sheep, and she doesn't have any cattle. But what she does have is grandchildren. And I raised her and trained her with the grandchildren. See, instinctively, she lives and dies for those babies. She lives and dies. She would give her life for them. It's instinctual. She protects them. She plays with them. Because of that, there's a little bit of tension in her life. Because, see, wherever they are, she has to be. She cannot be far from them. She will protect them. She will be with them. Even when, as little ones, they put her in situations that are very awkward and uncomfortable, she will not leave them. So the other day, this message came home. I was thinking about instinct and normal and design. And I was watching my one-and-a-half-year-old grandson and my three-year-old um, granddaughter, Betsy. And I turn around. They have the medical kit out, and Pepper follows them anywhere. Pepper's sitting there. I'm like, you better run. You better run. This thing going to work out well for you. And we're going to be a doctor to Pepper. Dr. Pepper. So great. And so... Within about five minutes, Pepper has a stethoscope around her neck. I took a picture. Pepper has a stethoscope around her neck, and Jack and Betsy are doing a medical examination of her. So you see that that's not normal, but it's instinctual. See, Pepper's normal. She's feeling the tension of her instinct, but that's actually not what Pepper was created to do. She hates me for that, but she will not move, right? It's not normal, but it's instinctual, and it creates tension, right? So uh, about a couple hours later, we're outside in the front, and it gets fenced and gated, and Pepper is just barking, and when she, when she goes into protective mode, she gets a mohawk, and she hops like a wild dingo, and she is about ready to eat someone on the other side of the fence because the babies are in the front yard. She will not stop. She is hopping, 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 and she is just in all of her cattle dog glory. And I yell at her, and I go, Pepper, what is your problem? And Betsy, in all of her three-year-old wisdom, turns around and says, Nana, she doesn't have a problem. She's protecting me. That's her job. So how many have ever been corrected by a three-year-old? How fun. And so anyways, I was like, you know what? You're right. That's her job. See, instinctually, that's what she does. She was being normal. That's normal for Pepper to act like that. So I just sat, and I actually kind of really loved watching her just protect her babies. 
And there was no tension in that. She was, I was made for this. I will die for these kids. And it was so beautiful. And I love that moment. And God said, see, sometimes, Julie, there are things in your life that are very instinctual. But you're, not, you're missing a little bit of that point that you're supposed to be. It's supposed to tell people about me. And the further, furthest they get is you. And there's tension in that. So, for instance, you know, I've known for a long time, I, I'm a leader. I'm a leader. Drop me in anywhere and I'll lead. And that's instinctual. And I'm protective. I'm justice bent. And that's instinctual. But sometimes... When I forget that I'm supposed to be an image bearer of God and I'm feeling insecure, I get bossy. I get controlling. I can be manipulative and call it strategy. <laughs> and so he's like, and you feel the tension of that, right? Because you are all of this, but it's made to be an image bearer. It's made so that when people look at you, they see me. See, if people look at you and all they see is you, you might be an idol, not an image. And this is what I think sometimes our young people are struggling with. They're, they're, they're living in the tension of that. And they need us to do better so that we can help give them the purpose behind their purpose. So let's talk about what an idol is. An idol is something that you can carve or shape or mold or make. It is the best you can do. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 8, God says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth below or, in the, or beneath or in the waters below. You shouldn't make it because you don't need it, right? Because an idol is, is the best you can make, and that's the thing that you end up with. It's, there's no power in it. I love the scripture in Habakkuk. It's 2.18. It says, Of what value is an idol? It's carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies for the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that can't speak. So woe to him who says to the wood, come to life. Or he says, um, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can that give guidance? Is it covered with gold and silver? I love this. There is no breath in it. There is no life in it. And so God says, don't do it. Don't make these vain, powerless idols, right? And you are not supposed to be an idol. People are not supposed to look at you and end there. And if you are, you have become that idol. And you're going to feel the tension of that. You're going to feel the weight of that that you were never supposed to feel. Romans 1.23 says that creation... Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, started to worship idols. And they, they were idols that were made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. So something went wrong somewhere. Something went wrong. Back in the garden, when Adam was created. He was out. He was supposed to be like God in the garden. He was supposed to walk around. He was supposed to do his job, naming the animals, tending the garden. And he was supposed to show, be that image bearer for God. But what happened later on when he's having the conversation with the serpent about whether or not to eat the fruit from the tree he wasn't supposed to be, he wasn't supposed to eat, what ends up happening? The serpent ends up saying in Genesis 3, 5, God knows that on the day you eat from the this tree, your eyes will be opened. That is, you will have a greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing 
knowing the difference between good and evil. So what does he say? You will be like God. But hold on a minute. He was like God. See, the truth was that he was created in the image of God to be like God. That was already the truth about him. But the enemy comes in and says, oh, you could take matters into your own hands. You can go ahead and eat this, even though God says that you shouldn't, because if you do, then you're going to be really like God. See, you're going to get an upgrade from being like God, and then you're going to be like God. And so you're going, okay, how would that even, like, he, was, he forgot that he was made in the image of God, and he was already like God, so he took the deal. And things went a little sideways. And the earth and humanity started to feel the tension of that. Because no longer was Adam going to produce, reproduce after his kind. He was reproducing after the kind of fallen man who had taken matters in and of himself. He was exchanged the truth for the lie. So all of creation after him, they're looking for image bearers. They need something that is reflecting the image of God on the earth. See, that was our job. That was our role. That was our purpose. We were supposed to live so that people go, oh, my gosh, that's what God is like. Like, I see the kindness. I see the goodness. I see the creativity. I see the excellence. I see the beauty. I see the love. That's what God is like. But we took a side turn, a detour in our job. And so people began to make images of other things because we weren't filling that space. In Romans 1.23, now we're in New Testament, it says that instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like a mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. Well, why? Because we weren't doing our job. Mankind was not doing his job, its job, her job, they were supposed to be image bearers and show people what God is like. And when in the absence of that, we're just going to figure it out and make it up and do our best and find other things to do that are less than. Oh. When I think about that study and I think about these kids going, there's something burning inside me. I think I'm supposed to be on YouTube. I think I'm supposed to lead. I think I'm supposed to make followers. And, and I think I'm supposed to have an image. Yeah. But they have no idea what that means. And we have to do better because what they're doing is they're going, well, maybe I'm supposed to have this personality or that personality or this image. Oh, my God, I got to have an image, and I can't actually fall from that image. And they're feeling the tension of that. And as a result, the other statistics we know is that they're one of the most anxiety-ridden, hopeless, and depressed generations. Why? Because they have this thing burning in their heart, and they don't actually know what that means. I'm really good at music, and I think I'm supposed to have a following but it feels empty because idols are powerless. See, we got to do better. See, the Christian church has to do better. We have to say, no, we get it. We know that's there. You know why that's there? That's there because God put it there. You know why you're good at that? Because God put it there. There's purpose for you. So you're supposed to be an image, not an idol. But if you try to be an idol or you're living being an idol, you're going to feel the tension. Right? You have the right instinct. But they're going to feel like Pepper, like Dr. Pepper with a stethoscope around their neck going, I don't think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is really hard and I'm very uncomfortable. So I think we got to do better. This was really convicting to me. Because I, as you know, how many of you know when you teach something, God is always like, all right, let's walk you through this and let's, <laughs> let's make sure, let's make sure you got this right. Because so many times I think in my life, 
that I want to be Mama Julie. I want to be the one with the answers. I want to be the one with all the wisdom. I want to be the leader. I want to be the role model, right? And there's tension in that, and it's a little frightening, and sometimes it's a little hard. And this made me think of a little story. In the, back in the 90s, and this was so life-impacting, um, we had a, Mike and I, we did youth ministry for a couple of decades, and we had this fantastic youth ministry. And because of where I come from, I was raised in the barrios in L.A., and so I, was, uh, I relate really well to kids from neighborhoods that are maybe similar, right? So no matter where we've been, we've always found probably the most challenging neighborhoods in the city, and that's where we get our kids from because I love them, I understand them. And so we would typically, in, he, we were doing this youth ministry and I would go to one of the worst neighborhoods in Oceanside or a couple of them and I'd pick up all my kids and bring them to church or, or bring them to my home. And they weren't invited just to our youth group, they were invited to be part of our family. And I just, I'm in my, this is, okay, talk about Pepper barking at the gate instinctually, I love these kids. Like, I love them. And so I would bring all these kids and they would get to do family stuff with us, whatever we were doing. So, um, one day, they called me up and they said, hey, Julie, I heard, we hear you playing softball on a church softball team. I said, yeah. And they're like, we would love to come. Will you pick us up? And I thought, this might not be a good idea. They're going to make fun of me because I'm horrible at softball. And it's not a church league, but it's a church team. So I'm like, all right, I'll pick you up. I'll take you to dinner. You can come watch me play softball. I'll take you home. And so I drive all the way out there. And then I drive 40 minutes all the way out to where we're playing in a different city. And they are having a blast. They're sitting along third base they're making so much fun of me, but I'm just ignoring. They're laughing. They're singing. They're just, we start to win, which is something we never do. Like we were horrible and we start to beat this team and they're getting irritated. Well, the third baseman was especially hateful and he had anger issues and the kids were sitting right alongside and they're singing and they're just, and now these are juniors and seniors. So they're a full grown man, right? They're not, they're not kids. And they are just, they got the worst humor. I think it's funny, but they got the worst, worst humor. So they're making this third baseman really, really mad. And I'm going zip it, zip it. to send you to the car right now. Get it under control. They cannot. They are mostly laughing at me, and they're mostly trying to make me mad, and they're just having fun. But this guy is so mad at them. So there's a point where this guy makes it to second base. Why I'm on second base, I do not know. I can't catch the ball, but I'm standing there. And he, he says something takes the opportunity to say something really hateful, really vile, and really vulgar to me. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you had no idea. Like, those are my babies. Like, I'm like Pepper at that fence. Like, <laughs> you chose to walk by my kids. And I just, especially coming from where I'm coming, and history would show that there are times in those moments where I probably not acted in God's best interest. But I get it together. I look at them, and I'm like, just beat you. And so I, I let the guy pass. The game ends. We win. I can't even believe it. I don't know how we won. And so we go to do the high five thing, right? And so I'm like, okay, Julie, just, you know, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Just like high five it, high five it when you get to the. So I get to this guy and he says something even more lame. And I'm just like, okay, that's it. Like I can do it once, but that is not okay. And I just snap in the true way that I know that I can. And I'm like, you know, getting back to my roots, right? And I snap and I just, he turns around like, a, you know, I'm just going to say it and turn around. I'm like, oh, no, you're not. You're not going to walk away from me. And now the kids are hysterical. They are laughing so hard because the one thing they know is that they're not going to let anything happen to me, but they are loving what they just created. And so I'm just... And so at some point, I'm like, you know what you are, mister. And he gets his dog out. Now, I'm over in his 
dugout with his team. And I don't even care because I think I can take him. And so, I, and so he turns around and like, what? And I am just ready to just, I know some words, you know? And so, and I hear the kids laughing behind me. And I think I remember them singing a song from a TV show called Three's Company, you know, come and knock on my door. And they're just hysterically laughing. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm a, I can't do this in front of them. So I go, you are, you're a waste of human flesh. And now they are on the ground. And I, as I'm saying it, I'm like, okay, that was the lamest thing ever. And they are going to torture me for the rest of my life. <laughs> They're like, what? And so at this point, the guy turns around, and he's staring me down, and I'm telling him he's a waste of human flesh. And I think he's seeing me, but he's really seeing my kids behind me. And he makes a very good decision to turn around and walk the other way. And I'm like, that's right, that's right, walk away, you know. And so at this point, my husband is like, get yourself in the car. <laughs> and them, take them with you. And so I pile all the kids in the car. And we start a very, at first, quiet drive home. And I'm just like, I'm like, you know how sometimes you're mad, but you want to cry, but it's not like sad tears? But I'm, so back in the day, here's, I got to set the moment up for you. They're in the car. They're trying really hard not to laugh. And they're trying not to make me matter. Um, but back in the day, there was a basketball player called Charles Charles Barkley, you guys all probably know him. At some point, he was playing for the Phoenix Suns, and they were playing. They made it to the NBA Finals. They were playing, um, I believe, the Chicago Bulls. And anyways, Nike decides to take Charles Barkley. He was a bit of a beast on the court, and they do a campaign with Charles Barkley. And the, the campaign is called, I Am Not a Role Model. And Charles Barkley becomes famous for saying to everybody, you know, I'm a beast on the basketball court, basically. But hey, I'm not a role model. I'm not supposed to raise your kids. I'm not supposed to make them followers. I'm a basketball player. I am not a role model. So it was a cultural norm to, for people to say, like, yeah, I can do whatever I want. You know why? Because I'm not a role model. Well, I love Charles Barkley. So anyways, that was kind of going on at that point. <laughs> and so we're in the car, and we're driving, and they're, they're being a little bit silent. And then I hear them start to giggle, and they're whispering. And I'm like, what? And they go, Julie, don't feel bad. I mean, it's okay. I mean, Julie... Like, we know you're not a role model. And I'm crying. I'm just like crying. And then they realize, like, oh, shoot, we broke her. Right? And they're like, no, no. And you know, like, we're, like you are a role model. And now I'm like, I'm a horrible role model. And they're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do with her? And now I'm getting madder, so they're laughing. And so I'm just like, okay, if you say one more word, I'm pulling this van over, and you are all walking home. I'm literally going to throw you out of my van which had actually happened on certain occasions. And so anyways, they like zip it, and I take them home, and I drop them off. And I, in the quiet of my car, I hear Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think, God, that, was, that feels like a fail because I am supposed to be better. See, these kids, they, all but one didn't have a father in the home ever. See, they live in a place where there's violence and there's not a lot of role models. There's not a lot of people who are image bearers. Like, because people aren't doing their job. Even the Christians that live in their neighborhood, like, people don't get this idea that they're supposed to be a reflection of Christ in their life. There's nobody that's showing them kindness and love and, and patience and gratitude and excellence. And I'm in their life. See, I'm supposed to do that, and I need to do better. 
And I was so convicted, and I went, eventually I went back and I apologized. I never took them to another game. I actually don't think the team ever let me play again. But um, they were, <laughs> but it kind of, the, the truth came home in that I was supposed to exemplify and be a reflection of Christ in their life. And I, and I wanted to do that so bad because I knew they were lacking that. And I had a moment to do it. And I don't think I completely failed because I didn't say what was actually on my heart. But, you know, the snapping and the following the guy in the dugout was probably not one of my finest moments. And, you know, after that, there was a saying in our youth group that went, don't be a waste of human flesh. And so, you know, they did remind me and mock me forever. But, but here's the deal. Like, they needed an example of what it meant to be a reflection of Christ. They needed me to be that example and they needed an example of what they were supposed to be in their community. Because, see, I didn't live in their blocks and in their neighborhoods. I lived in one just like it growing up. And I didn't have anybody that was showing me that back then. They needed me to be that. And they needed an example of what it looked like for them to be that. So fast forward from the garden. People are making all kinds of idols because there's an absence of image bearers. See, it is normal for us to reflect the glory of God on the earth. That's normal. We're supposed to be that. But sometimes we react to culture, and that's what we end up being, and we feel the tension. We feel the tension of a dog wearing a stethoscope. Like, this feels instinctual, but it somehow doesn't feel right. So flash forward, Jesus comes. He came in the likeness of man, even sinful man. But Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible, the firstborn, the preeminent one, the sovereign and the originator of all creation. See, Jesus came to do what we were supposed to do and we couldn't get done and then he came and he did it. See, Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. See, Jesus showed us what it was like. So we were supposed to be it. We couldn't do it. Other people, we were making all kinds of idols. We were making ourselves idols. And then Jesus came and said, okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what the Father looks like. I'm going to show you who he is. I'm going to show you how he acts. And then not only that, hey, guess what, everybody? I am going to restore you to a place where you are able to actually do this and be this. And then guess what you're going to do? Go make followers. See, we are restored. Image is purposeful. See, it's normal for us to be that and do that, for God to show himself through our lives. It should be normal. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about that restoration. It says, we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Hmm. When you look in a mirror and all you can see is you, you're going to feel the tension. See, our kids, when they look in a mirror and all they see is them and they think, I got to, what's my opinion? Like, who am I? What's my style? Like, like, I have to make all these decisions. That's toil. Because all they're seeing is them in the mirror. That's all they're seeing. And see, we know the statistics of the most depressed, there's the most anxiety, and then the most hopeless. We know that. Why? Because they're feeling the tension. 
of being called to be something but not knowing what that means, right? So when you look at a mirror, if you're not seeing the glory, if you're not seeing Jesus, you're going to feel the tension of that because you are just the best you can do, right? People were never supposed to look at you and see you. They were supposed to look at your life and see the qualities of the Father. Sometimes that's hard, and sometimes that's a little bit terrifying. But you can do it with this one thing. See, it says if you behold the glory and the glory, you begin to become like it. So as we see, as we read, as we hear, as we listen to, this is how Jesus did it. This is how he handled a woman caught in adultery. This is how he handled the tax collector. This is how he handled a man that was sick. This is how he did it. This is how he showed everybody what the Father was like. See, as you do it and you meditate it and you look on it, you're going to start to become it, right? Because we now know what we need to do. Normal is that we're supposed to be a reflection of the Father as we move about our job, and it doesn't have to be, like I'm not saying every YouTube channel has to just teach Jesus. Like, you go be. Adam was naming animals, right? He was naming animals, and he was tending a garden, but he was supposed to be like God in that, right? So as you go about your life, you be that. But the way that you know how, what that is is that you begin to look at the example that we have and you begin to believe that it is possible for you to actually do that. You know why? Because it's normal. It's normal for you to do that. Don't exchange the truth for a lie. See, you are, if you are a Christian, if you are, if you are in Christ, then that is normal and that is possible. You don't have to take it back. And you don't have to work so hard. But we need to be better. We need to do it both for us because we got to stop living in that tension. What's my purpose? What's my authentic self? Who am I? Why am I here? But we also need to do it for that up-and-coming generation so that we can look at them and go, you know what? I know why you answered that. I totally know why you answered that. That's God. And I love you for that. Let me help you. Find some purpose in all of that. Let me help put it all together and make the dots connect for you so that you don't toil and spin and live in the tension of that. So that you can feel like Pepper running through that gate going, I was made for this. Everybody's safe. Let me help you with that. So once we know our destination is normal, the next question, what does a GPS ask? Where are you right now? You need two things. You need to know where you're going. You need to know where you are. So this week you're going to ask God, what are those areas of my life? where I've become an idol, even of my own self. What are those places of my life? Oh, I had some. I had to do that this week. I was like, ooh, that's people get, people look at my life and all they see is me. <laughs> that's as far as they get. I think I've, I've moved into making myself an idol in that, and that's where I feel the tension. So what are those things? And then this week, just like with a GPS, they're going to give you your first next move. <laughs> Turn right at the next corner. You're like, can I have the next three moves? They're like, no, just just this one, right? And we're going to do the next one thing. So what is it? I'm going to ask you, what is it this week in your world, in your life, that you can be that will help people see what God is like? See, you just have to be what you're created to be because you are made in the image of God. And so what is it that you have to be so that people will see the Father this week? Just one thing. Just one thing. I'm not asking you to be Jesus. 
right? I just need you to be one thing. And then I need to ask you, man, you got to show up. Because in the next few weeks, we're talking about, we're unpacking this even further. So as an image, someone made in the image of God, what are those components? What is that? Is it dominion? Is it miracle? Like, what does that all mean? You are definitely going to want to show up for the next weeks because you're going to get more intuitive about what that is. You're going to learn what you were created to be and do and what that normal is. You're going to want to show up. It's why I'm so excited about the series. But today, today, that's the question you have to ask. Am I living my life as a reflection of God or am I living my life as just a reaction to society and culture? In those areas where we're living as a reflection, we feel peace. We don't feel the tension. And so I want to encourage you. Um, this was a hard message. I actually asked the Lord, is there something I could say that could be a little more encouraging? And the Lord was like, no, you can pull this off. Because I struggled this week. I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to deal with some of those places. I want to do better. I want to be better. There's a whole generation that's counting on all of us to do that and to be that. And I know I believe in you guys. I know you guys can do it. I know you guys can. So make sure that you show up next week. I'm excited to see you in the courtyard. I love when all my family is together in the same place at the same time. And so we will be in between 9 and 11 service. So would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray. God, wow. <laughs> Images versus idols. Well, first of all, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that we can even hear a message right now and we can rejoice because Jesus came and he showed us the way that he equipped us that he enables us, God, that we can do this, that we can be image bearers to um, a generation that desperately needs to see what God is like. And they desperately need to know what their purpose is. They need to know why their heart is burning in the way that it is. And God, even for us, we just give up the tension of trying to figure out our own image and we embrace your image. And we thank you that you decided to make us like you. Man, that blows my mind. So God, we receive that today. And we repent of those areas where we have become our own idols. Yeah, God. We do desire to do better and be better. So God, we just want to bless you today. We want to thank you for your blessing upon our lives. I thank you for that next generation. Man, they got it. They've got this. I say you bless them. And I thank you for their example. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. The prayer team's gonna be up here if you would like someone to pray and agree with you.